Thanks for listening to Rejected, a funny and cathartic celebration of the struggles of working and non-working actors everywhere. Rejected! Welcome! This is episode 8 of the Rejected podcast. I'm Eleonora Dundee, and I am on location in Minneapolis. Also on location from New York is Claire Parm. Hello! I'm a little under the weather, so my voice is gross, and I apologize but you're great. I'm healthy. You look like an angel. Aww. And, uh... Aww. <laughs> look, at her, look at her little nose. It's all red. You guys can't see this, but Elle has a very cute little red nose. Right uh, it's my allergies. It's just allergies. It's just allergies. I'm not sick. Right. We had a... We were talking <laughs> about a sketch about where someone is, like, slowly dying, but everyone just keeps being like, it's allergies, it's fine. But they have, like, pus-filled sores all over them, and they're like, it's fine, it's allergies, it's fine. Everyone's in denial. Yeah, everyone's like... It's okay, it's, it's, it's just allergies. It's just allergies. Like, Sir, I think you're dying. It's like, no, 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 don't worry. Don't worry, I took some Claritin, I'm gonna be fine. Gonna be fine. Alright, so I usually start these with the introduction, and then the, the hated question about, like, who are you, what are you doing, what project are you up to? Mm. What, uh, what, what, so what's next? What's next? <laughs> that question that oh, we all yeah. hate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so we can kind of get a hang of who you are as a human and who I'm talking to. Cool. And, uh, you know, I realize I don't think I've even done that. For yourself? Yeah, like I haven't been like, I'm Eleonora Dundee and this is who I am as an artist. I just ask yeah. other people. But yeah, you go. So I'm Claire Parm. I'm an actress in New York. And also a emerging playwright. I've started that. I went to school. We went to school together mm-hmm. in Minneapolis uh, for acting. And I bopped around for a while. Like, I went to L.A. and tried that. And then I did some regional tours. And then I finally sucked it up, went to New York, and was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And I've been there for three years. And... Then kind of decided last year that I was, like, maybe done with acting. And ever since I decided that, I've been acting more than I have in three years. <laughs> I think how that works. Yeah, yeah. The second you let go of it, that's the second. I mean, yeah. that's what we were talking about yesterday. That's yeah. the second everything sort of falls into place in a way. Yeah. Well, I think what where I got with it is I when I left school and when I left Minneapolis, really, I left because it was... I've always had this, like, hole, it felt like. Like, something wasn't being fulfilled. Like, I wasn't being seen. I wasn't being heard. I wasn't being appreciated for my talent or whatever. And I thought, surely another city will understand me more. Which is why I went to Los Angeles. And if you want a city that, like, doesn't give a (laughs) shit about you, like, (laughs) is never going to understand you, like, L.A. was definitely the place to go. And then I got a regional tour, which was great. Because when you're working, you're like, cool, cool. But that hole was still there, and it was just this always, like, dissatisfied, like, never satisfied with myself, my work, never doing enough. And it followed me, and it kept, like, haunting me, and I just kept trying to, like, run away from it by moving mm-hmm. and being like, New York, it's going to be New York, and, and like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be there. Like, that's where I'm supposed to go. That's where once I get there, everything will, I'll have figured it all out. Yeah. Or like, that's where I'm going to find it. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, it's where I found it, but it's not what I thought <laughs> I'd find. You know, like it, New York, actually one of our, Jacob Perkins, when I was mm. thinking about moving to New York, I was, because he was there and I asked him about it. I was like, I'm fucking terrified of that, that city. But for some reason, I really am drawn to it. And he had me read um, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Mm-hmm. And it's all about resistance and, like, the fear. Mm-hmm. Usually if you're so afraid of something, it means... That you're supposed to you're do supposed it. You're supposed to do it. You need to, like, lean into it. Yes. And I think what New York made me do was realize, like, that hole is not... has doesn't have anything to do with your career. doesn't have anything to do with acting. It, it's totally, like, within myself. Mm-hmm. And until you figure out how to fill that hole, the universe is just, like, not going to give you, or even if it does give you, you're not even going to be able to appreciate it. Right. So for the first couple years in New York, I was, like, 
busting my ass, but still, like, that feeling that, like, it's unsatisfying or I'm not doing enough or I'm, you know, I mean, I had actual thoughts that were, like, you're, like, kind of garbage. Mm -hmm. Like, you're a garbage person because you're, like, (laughs) you didn't wake up at 5 a.m. and go to an EPA, which now I think back and I'm like, that's so, like, I would never say that to someone else, you Mm -hmm. know, like, and I think for years of, like, not, being given, like, that thing that I wanted because the universe was kind of like, you need to, you need to figure out this, this thing inside Mm -hmm. until you figure that out, how to be satisfied just being who you are. I like what you, that thing of, like, I would never, I would never say that to somebody else or talk to somebody else that way. That's a really good way to think. Like, uh, I like to stand in front of the mirror in the mornings And, uh, you know, I don't do it every day, but Mm -hmm. I'll just, I'll try to look at myself from the eyes of people that know and love me Mm. instead of from my own eyes. Yeah. And I'm much nicer to myself. Or my friend Brooke says she, every day, either like through journaling or whatever, tries to have a conversation with her six-year-old self. Mm. And she's so much nicer to her six-year-old self. Right. And then it like results in her being nicer to herself in general. And I think that's just a great way to think of how cruel we are to our own hearts and souls yeah. and and it, how unnecessary that is. And, like, how, like why? Yeah. Why are we so... And we're nicer to worse people. Right. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. Like, you will encounter... Like, I will encounter some of just, like, the shittiest people because I'm a server, mm-hmm. and I'm, like, so nice to them, but they are actual maybe garbage people. Right. Maybe, but maybe not. I mean, I guess I believe... Yeah. And then you spit on yourself as if, you know, it's yeah. like you take it out on yourself when yeah. that's just so, so unnecessary. Yeah. Well, I, the, the thing about talking to your six year old self is interesting because we try to just lump our identity into like some kind of activity or Mm -hmm. like a a verb of some kind whereas when you're six you're just a kid and I think as adults we like forget that we can be just an adult yeah you can just be L you know Mm -hmm. you don't have to be like L V fill in the blank Mm -hmm. so that's going to be my new Instagram name, L the fill in the blank. Yeah, L the fill in the blank. Yeah. It's a good one. <laughs> it's like, it leaves a lot of room for growth. Like, you can... So we're already on the topic, but this is the Rejected Podcast. It's about dealing with rejection, our experiences of failure. This is where I invite my guests to reminisce about experiences they've had. I don't know if you've been thinking about it since you've known you're going to be on this. Mm. If you have any specific stories. Do you? Do you want to? Do you have anything you want to bring up? I think I, in the spirit of it, like didn't. I tried not to think about it because I didn't want to like plan. But there's certainly been plenty of rejection. I think one that hit like particularly hard and kind of like sent me on a path to like really looking at things was I worked with a company. I was like an understudy for them, and I understudied like. 15 roles at once I went on a few times like I and I was like you know this is a lot of work and I'm you know I'm not you know where you feel like you're paying your dues Mm -hmm. and then like went into audition the next year for the actual company thinking like paid my dues now like let's go and they said when I came in they're like oh Claire like (laughs) sorry to call you in like we know like (laughs) go ahead do your piece and you walk into that room and you're like, fuck yeah. These are like, my friends. These are my friends. Like, they want me to do well. I don't remember what I did or how it went. But, yeah, I was. it was, like, no pressure. It was, like, cool. And then I didn't even, like, get a call back. Oh, my God. And I... Was it that thing of, like, oh, well, maybe they just don't need to see me again because they know me. Right, yeah. So, you give, so yeah, you, like, you justify. You're, like, oh, okay, I'm just waiting for the cast list. Like, I'm just waiting for the phone call. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, <laughs> like, right, they just, uh, and then the day kind of passed. And, or, like, I think, oh, a friend had texted me who was also auditioning who did get a call back. Mm. And I think did even get an offer for the company. And I, I remember because I was at, I was out seeing the children on Broadway. I was like about to see it, and I just like lost it. I just kind of like started crying before the show started, and I was, it was weird because I was like in a Broadway theater, and I just felt so. It's like if you went on a date with someone, and it, you, 
they never called you back and you were like, well, I'm never getting married. Like, <laughs> I'm never getting to Broadway. Like, and the show was actually very good. It was a very good show. But it was, yeah, that one was particularly rough because you want things to be one plus two equals three. And it, I think just in this world, it just, it just doesn't. Mm-hmm. But you also find, like, for a more positive spin, that, like, one plus two plus four plus seven mm-hmm. plus, the, like, you, it actually is a very long equation that eventually lands with something. I've had that, like, fairly recently. I just booked a show because of a relationship that I've been building since college mm-hmm. with a casting director who, like, saw our showcase. And then I just kept in touch with her, and then I kind of, like, became friends with her. And then she came in, or she had asked me to be a reader for something, and that's when I saw she was casting this thing, and then I was like, oh, can I audition for that? And she was like, sure. And then suddenly you have a job. But that, since 2013, right. to get a job in 2019. Yeah. And you hear those stories, but uh, that really is kind of how it works. I just had a really weird moment where I forgot it was 2019 and you said that and my head sort of exploded. <laughs> what year did you think it was? I guess 2018, but yeah. it just you said 2019 and it felt so alien to me. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what? What year is it? What year is it? <laughs> you there. Yeah, like have I been on an alternate universe? Yeah. Um, oh my god, that's so sad. Yeah, that's but you a said sad it, story. You said it launched you into where you are now. So how did it kind of, how was it the catalyst for these changes you made in your life? I think it caused me, I because ha- I had like auditioned for grad school at Yale and like didn't get through there. I had had like, I got very close to like getting in the apprentice company at Actors Theatre of Louisville, got to the final round, didn't get that. And then I got that and I was like, what is the universe trying to tell me? Like, what are these signs that I'm just not supposed to do this? And I think I also was just miserable. I was a bit miserable. I was a bit, like, going through the motions in a lot of ways. And it made me so upset and so frustrated that I finally, a a roommate of mine was like, Claire, what if you just, like, stopped for a bit and, like, just didn't and see if you feel, see how you feel? Because I think for months I had said, like, what if I just didn't do this anymore? And then someone was actually like, yeah, what if you didn't? Which was a really cool, yeah, it was really like throwing the cards on the table. Mm -hmm. And so for six months, no, like four, I didn't pursue any acting. I did a lot of, like, sitting in a very uncomfortable place which was when people would ask you, like, so what's next? I would, like, want to explode inside. I was yeah. like, I don't know. <laughs> and I, with the help of, like, supportive friends, like, obviously a therapist, I just sat in that space, that space of, like, I don't have a plan, and I don't know. And I just started with, like, little things of, like, what makes me happy? What things? And it was, you know... Zumba makes me happy and like yoga makes me happy cooking makes me happy I just started following and then like improv Mm -hmm. I did like doing improv and you yeah so Claire was with mostly women R.I.P. mostly women we did like kind of die recently yeah but we were talking about how that's a good thing it ran its course and it lasted way longer than most of those types of things do and the thing of like is it giving you joy or fulfillment anymore Right. Or is it just taking up space? Exactly. You know, exactly. it was. And it was funny that we all kind of reached that place at the same time. Mm-hmm. It was like one text message and then we were all like, yeah, I was feeling that too. I'm really glad somebody <laughs> said something because I think we were all feeling, it was like when it was fueling us, we were like, yeah, yeah. Like we would come in and be like, this is the best part of my week. I just get to like make poop jokes with you guys or like pretend to be men. I felt like I was like, I would do a lot of improv sets and I would just be these like men or dads. I got really into playing dads for a while, which was so great. I just really like, hey son, like, uh, you want to throw a football around? Or, I don't know. I just really enjoyed dads. Yeah. But yeah, things run their course and at, with just kind of sitting and being and letting things come up, listening to myself and what I wanted, that's when I realized I want to say something. I want to write something. 
I feel like I need and or like even looking at like people in the industry that I, that I admire it was like Tina Fey it was all these women who wrote their own stuff are more producer level created their own work <laughs> like that's so much more work like <laughs> damn it like I was so pissed about it I was like god damn it like yeah I know I got it okay and then I signed up for a writing class and kind of went from there and just started writing which writing is way harder I think than acting in a lot of ways because yeah yeah it's just <laughs> it's 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 a different level of oh I need to generate something mm-hmm. right now and you have to even be kinder with yourself and even with acting because you have to get into this mindset of like I'm just going to write I sometimes I tell myself before I write like I'm gonna write the worst scene ever today like this is going to be a bad scene and you learn that like yeah you'll probably write a pretty bad scene but you're going to get like a line out of it that Mm -hmm. like really gets you jazzed and I think that's brilliant yeah I mean making work making work with the intention of failing is is it liberates you it's like you don't give any fucks right it's if you're like yeah it's going to be bad yeah and you celebrate it then you could actually come out with something some element of it that's useful or something that's really fucking funny yeah 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 and that's definitely happened I mean and writing is you know it's a different discipline because it is you're at a computer it's kind of a solitary thing and I think I have a lot of ideas of like what I think writing is but I was I nanny a little girl who's eight and sometimes she wants me to just like watch her play with her dolls Mostly because she knows I don't, I don't have the energy to like do the voices, but I'm like, I'll totally like watch you or I'll be like, I'll hold it. And you like do the voices. I'm like a really good nanny. Um, You're so engaged. I'm so with engaged. It's really that I'm just like inspiring them. Right. By right, right. like hands off approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're giving her room to be creative. Yes. But as I was watching her, I was like, why don't I, like, get some Barbie dolls and, like, improv scenes with dolls in my room and then, like, write it down? Like, why can't that be the writing process? Like, she was having so much fun, and I was like, that's how I used to play as a kid. Mm -hmm. Like, why do I have to, like, sit in a dark room with, like, a screen or even just, like, a piece of blank paper? And your shawl and and your tea. And my shawl and my tea. And, like, some jazz music. <laughs> Actually, I put on a lot of, like, Enrique Iglesias. I put on some, like, really, like, not what you expect kind of music to, like, get myself out of, like, a writer mode. Mm-hmm. That's what I've learned, too, is, like, if it feels too, like, I'm a writer right now, it's not going to go well. Mm-hmm. I have to, like, put on Mark Antony or, like, J-Lo or something. Mm-hmm. Kind of have fun. Find ways to... Well, I mean, what you're doing is you're you're finding, like, silliness and play, just mm-hmm. like she was with her dolls. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think so many times, so often, we, as, as adults, like, this is our work, you know? This is my job. This is my work. And right. then we become reverent. And, like, we... But we went to school, you know, for eight, four-plus years trying to learn how to, like, not be adults. Right, yeah. Trying to break out of those habits. And right. So why are we just going right back into it? Because now we're professional, quote-unquote. Right. right, right, right. Like, and I think to go off of what you were asking, like, how have you gotten to this point today, I think I stopped trying to take it all so seriously. Like, if you really are like, I'm not going to link my identity with, like, being a professional actor anymore. Right. And then I was just able to, like, yeah. like or, like, if I did do a project, it was because I was excited about it and... Sure. Like... Yeah, I'm just, and I stopped, yeah, I stopped linking my identity with what I was doing. Right. And I just did whatever. And that thing of the what's next question is, it's okay that it, it, whatever is next isn't acting related or job related. Maybe what's next is, oh, I'm going to... I'm excited because I'm going to rearrange my house and yeah. not like, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I've been watching whatever that Marie show is Kondo. that everybody knows. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. What's funny is and it's just... like feeding me and yeah. I'm just really excited to explore that aspect of my personality. Like that's yeah. a legitimate answer to give somebody. It doesn't have to be, maybe they're looking for job related answers, right. but if you don't have one, if that's not like your next thing, even if you have a job coming up, but you're like right. actually excited about you're gonna try to do a do have a beehive, right? A beehive, you know, exactly. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna save the bees. You guys, we really should be worried about the bees. 
PSA I, for the bees. Yeah, I just I just want to make a PSA that like <laughs> the bee issue is like a thing that we're not think, we're not talking about. It's and true. It's true. I have two beehives, so I'm I'm pretty guilt free. You're doing your part. Yeah. The rest of us are in trouble. <laughs> we will get all of our fruits and vegetables from Ellisville. No, but uh, that's so true. And I think it's something about getting older too. I recently like met up with a like an older friend of mine and he's a bit younger he's like three three years younger and we all were just like hey how's it going man we hadn't seen him in a few years and I think when we ask that question we actually just want to know how you're doing wait an old friend of yours you've been friends with him for a long time but he's yes. three years younger than us yes I thought you were, oh he's an old you're like an older friend like oh, you know right, right. somebody okay. who's older than us and then you're like but he's a bit younger like three and I was like wait a minute what, what time what is time he has Benjamin Button yes he's, he's actually yes so it's Benjamin Button his name um <laughs> yes so he's younger than us but gotcha. I've been friends with him since we were in high school oh, okay yeah, we asked, you know, how are you doing? And I think all I wanted him to say was, like, either I'm doing shitty, like, I'm not doing well, which then you respond one way, or, like, I'm doing great. And then we can, but, and I used to do this when I was younger, too, when people say, how are you? You're like, you know, I'm doing, um, uh, I'm, I'm good because because I'm doing this and this and this. And um, I actually, I, I didn't get this job, but I, I'm working on this. And... I remember kind of stepping outside that conversation and being like, that's that's cool. But still, you didn't answer. Like, how are you? But, like, like how are you? How are you? <laughs> like, how are you? I don't you? care about your jobs. Yeah. And I think as we get older, we start to realize that, like, you genuinely, you genuinely just want to hear how people are doing. And I think as people get older, they start actually answering that question. I hope so. I hope so, too. Yeah. Because it takes the pressure off. You don't have to justify yourself yeah. or how you're doing. And it's okay to not be doing well. And it's okay to say that. Yeah. I remember saying that a few times last year when people were like, how's life? And I'm like, it's a mess. Like, <laughs> it's, it's real bad, y'all. It's real bad. Like, this is tough. Like, this is what they're talking about, like, growing up. This is tough stuff. I'm experiencing, I didn't, I, I hadn't experienced that much pain. Mm -hmm. I experienced a lot of pain last year. But I, I'm also experiencing, like, more joy than I've ever experienced in my life. You know, now. well, you're, you're super communicative about it, too. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking back to, you know, we've known each other for a really long time now. And um, I guess 10 years. Yeah. It's, I think when we were younger, especially in college, when you're just so confused and you're in art school and everything's just a hot mess. But things were like, we, we would... We would let all of our angst out in class mm -hmm. and in performances, and we thought that's what it meant to be, like, good performers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, I... <laughs> I don't know if you, like, want to talk about this, but the Let's trains. Uh oh, the trains. <laughs> this is my legacy. Like, <laughs> And this is what this is making me think of. So yeah. tell the story, and then I'll yeah. say why I'm bringing oh up the story. Oh, my God, the trains. So... <laughs> So when we were in, we were, I think, sophomores in college, which was, it was a really intense year just for class itself. But for me, I think at the time we were doing our, we were in our realism plays. We were doing, I was in Picnic. Elle was in both. I was in both. She was in Picnic and they were doing, um, uh, The Diviners. The Diviners. I almost said wool gatherers, but that's not that's not a play. Uh, they're just the these little people who wool. gather wool. That's actually uh, the name of my soccer team. Yeah, the, the wool, wool gatherers. gatherers. <laughs> oh man, uh, they went to finals last year. Um, yeah, but anyway, we were, I was in picnic and I was playing Rosemary, who's an awesome role that I definitely want to play again. But she's. She's a mess. Like, she's kind of a mess of a character, but I was really getting into it. Powell is a hole in the ground, Howard. Yeah. You yeah, know? she, it's, it's, if you haven't read the play, it's... She's pretty desperate to yeah. get married and not be, not be a spinster, spinster. Yeah. Find someone. Yeah. But she's also a very kind of difficult person. She's, yeah. She's not perfect. She's not, like, a perfect person. Right. High maintenance and desperate. Yes. It's kind of... It, like, seeps out of her. But I was doing that. I was really invested in it and didn't really know how to, like, separate that work from, like, my personal life yeah. and, like, other work we were doing. I was also in a relationship 
that I had been in for five years. We were like living together. He had just moved to Minnesota to be with me. I think I realized upon his arrival that like, oh no, like, (laughs) oh no, like what have I gotten myself into? Yeah, we were only like 28, 19, something really young. So young. So young. So anyway, that's that's the context, but we were doing persuasive speeches in our voice class and I had chosen an Ellie Wiesel speech about the Holocaust. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm laughing about no, it's, after you say the Holocaust. It's the not Holocaust, no. That's not funny. It's just it's the circumstances of And they were doing and we got to sometimes one of the perks of the University of Minnesota Guthrie Act training program is that you get to work on the Guthrie stage for some of your classes. So we're in voice class, we're doing these persuasive speeches on the thrust stage, which is like this huge, amazing space. Huge house. It's like 1,200 seats or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. And And some people's speeches were, like, people were doing well that day, I remember. I feel like people were, like, a few of our classmates really, like, broke down walls and like really connected yeah people are making breakthroughs yeah and there was this added element of those speeches where everybody would stand up at the start of your speech oh fuck i hated those it was so much pressure but people if they if you felt like you weren't connected with the speaker anymore you would sit down so imagine like standing on the stage you have 20 people standing and then you're talking trying to persuade and they start sitting down so it adds this, like... So you're, like, losing them. You're slowly. losing them. And so I'm working on this, like, character who's, like, desperate to, like, get people. And I'm saying this speech about the Holocaust, which, like, Elie Wiesel is, like, a super, like, composed man. <laughs> he, he's not desperate at all. But we were also... They were... The Guthrie was doing a production of... I don't remember. I don't either. It wasn't a very but there was show. A- there was train tracks on the stage. <laughs> And I was losing people. And wasn't there like a tra- like a train car or yes. something behind <laughs> you? Yeah. And I... It's like a million bazillion dollar set. It was yeah, very nice. It was very nice. But I'm saying the speech. I'm losing people. I'm becoming more desperate, more fiery. And there's a part in the speech where he goes, the railroads... Or, like, the trains. He says something. He's referencing the trains that took people to Auschwitz. <laughs> and I, like, was losing people. I was trying to be more theatrical. I turn. I see the tracks. And I just, like, went, the trains! And it was, like, this... <laughs> but she's, like, turned upstage, like, screaming about the, tra- the trains and pointing at the train tracks. And it was just... It was a choice. And it was... It uh, was a choice. But it was it was exactly what you're talking about. Like, channeling all of your stuff mm-hmm. into, like, this speech. And that's not what the speech is. No, you know? it's not serving the speech. Not serving <laughs> what you're talking about. It's like watching Claire slowly break down <laughs> throughout this really like, dignified <laughs> speech. Yeah. And it just became... And, like, I think the feedback I got was... When we talked, it took a couple weeks for it to come out, I think, about, like, Claire. How weird it was. Yeah. <laughs> How uncomfortable. And then it became this, like, running joke for the rest of college that was just, like, the drains. It's, like, Catherine O'Hara, like, dramatic actress <laughs> moment. It's just... I still think about it and, like, cringe inside. It's that, you know, desperately trying to make a choice. But you're right. That did add to the stakes. I remember that. I I thought the challenge was, I thought we were supposed to pick a speech that was difficult. Like, people wouldn't, Mm. a persuasive speech that people wouldn't agree with. Right. And then try to work in a way. To make it persuasive. Yeah, to achieve the rhetoric in a way that, like, you do keep people standing or whatever. So I chose something horrible. What was happening in that time? Arizona. That one lady in Arizona was, like, trying to check people for paper, their papers, like immigration papers or something that I totally disagree with and she's a monster and like right. and I was like yeah I'm gonna you know I thought it was to choose the opposite of what you believe in and like but anyway right. needless to say that was a huge failure for me I think we all a lot of us struggled though because yeah was that the day I remember that- crying I like finished the speech and I like did such a bad job that I just started <laughs> crying yeah like, I 
Again, the stakes were so high, and yeah, that was that, such a dumb exercise. That it's an exercise. Yeah, you want to go back to yourself and be like... It was just an exercise. It was just an exercise. It's okay. Yeah, like... It's okay. Give yourself a hug. Yeah. Ugh, that's so funny. The, the train. The train. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I'm trying to think of another, like, audition, even recently, where I, like... It was just not a good choice. Or it was like, that wasn't... I feel like... Do you have any mistakes? Like, I have one, so I don't think I've told this one yet, but this doesn't really transition well, but I just thought of it. I was in, it was my very first, I was understudying Christmas Carol at the Guthrie. I was in senior year of acting school, and I ended up having to go on for a Fezzi daughter. And I was so freaked out. I just wanted to do everything, you know, correctly, get through it, go home, <laughs> have a drink. <laughs> and uh, I remember I, um, I did some sort of kick during the dance, uh-huh. the Fezzi dance. Oh, I kicked off my shoe. Right. Which is like, that just happens, right. you know, like... I, that wasn't a big deal, but I just, I, I picked up my shoe and I was like, I'm going to be super sly about this and I'll just like toss it off stage when I'm near the, the bomb or whatever. And, and so nobody will trip on it. And like, I'm such a good actor. Look at me. I'm so good and professional and present. Yeah. And I, I ended up chucking the shoe and I hit the ghost of Christmas past. <laughs> <laughs> It's a metaphor, actually. supposed to be a ghost. She's hit by a shoe. That's very good. Just dumb stuff like that. You can talk about that stuff. I I actually, so I understudied, it was that same job. I understudied, I was understudying Juliet, the nurse, Lady Capulet, Mercutio, Tybalt. Like, I understudied all. So I basically knew the whole play. And I went on for Juliet one day. And I was doing the vial scene. Uh-huh. Where she's like, come vile, something, something, something. And yeah. I quoted... Something, something, something. It's yeah. a great line. I quoted a different Shakespeare. <laughs> like, I, I was doing it, and I it was about a vial. I think I quoted Hamlet. I was like, I have never done Hamlet. Where? And I didn't realize it until I, I was, like, off stage. I was like, did I not even say a line of... The play? The play. I just quoted... A different line of Shakespeare. That's amazing. And I, I went up to the director after. I was like, I don't. He's like, Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. He's like, It's okay. It's okay. Like another one that I a mistake. This actually wasn't my mistake, but I was next. I was standing next to her when she did it. We were doing a comedy of errors for Idaho Shakespeare, and we were at. Um, we were doing one of these like school tours, so we were at some school early morning. Every night we got drunk on this tour, and we were always hungover for the the next day. <laughs> but it made the work great. <laughs> but anyway, the girl who was playing Adriana, Katie Prue, who's awesome, she she's from Boston, and she went up on her line, which was like, "We would like to invite you to to dinner or something like." That. It's Shakespearean. But she went up on her line, and she panicked, and she said, which of you twos is coming to dinner? But I had this, like, strong Boston accent, and all of us just, like, had that moment of looking in each other's eyes, like, oh, no. How do we continue on with the scene and not laugh? She's like, yeah, which, uh, which of you twos is coming to dinner with me? Like... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was, that was, that was a super, tours were fun. Oh my God. Well, that's one of my favorite things about doing a long run of a play is like good actors, all actors. We want to, we want to work every day to be present and blah, 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 blah. But sometimes it's like your 300th time doing a show and how do you keep it alive? And usually people like you, you find games to play. Right. Christmas Carol, we had this tiniest, tiny scuba diver toy. Yeah. It was just at my house in Atlanta. I don't know how it got to my house. Oh, wow. But um, I need to mail it back. Because <laughs> they, they use it for every show? or Yeah, like okay. it's not, it's Christmas Carol, so it's not supposed to be there, but we would find ways to pass it to each other in different scenes. Yeah. So that was like the game. Uh-huh. Tyler Michaels, he was playing Dick or what, I don't know, some yeah. guy that's in love with some girl and mm-hmm. whatever. But he has this, he's young Scrooge's best friend. Oh, <clears throat> Excuse me. He has this mug 
that's like his prop. Mm-hmm. And I taped a picture of Joe Dowling's face in the bottom of it. So when he like lifted it up to drink it, he saw it. <laughs> Stuff like that. Or these little things where it's like you're saying the lines, but your eyes are communicating different things to each other right. because you've done it so many times. It's like it's this bizarre communication that happens. Yeah. The audience just kind of reads it as subtext and it's but it's to you guys, you're, like, pretending... You're bears. Yeah. Like, nobody exactly. knows, but you set the circumstances that, like, today we are doing King Lear as bears. Yes. Like, everything yeah. has a bear. Or, <laughs> yeah, we would do, like, in a party scene, everyone has to pee really bad, but nobody wants to, like, excuse themselves. I love that. Stuff like that. I love those games. I did, actually, I just did a play. It was written by a friend of mine in New York, and it was really fun. It was, like... Salt? Salt, yeah. I just did salt. And... I had an experience with the, an, an actor in the show who, it was a long scene. It was like probably a 10 minute long scene, but he had trouble like remembering lines or he would pretty much every performance like go up on lines, which happens. Like I've been there, we've all been there, but this was a moment where pretty much every time he went up on a line, I would find a way to like move us along, keep it going. And I kind of like held that as my job. But he went up on a line, and my mind went blank. <laughs> and I, for as Nate Cheeseman used to say, I forgot my gender. <laughs> I forgot, like, everything. I was just a floating amoeba of cells. I was like... <laughs> and it, it was that feeling of, like, uh, he looked at me, and I looked back at him like, I don't got it this time. <laughs> you got to do this. And he looked back at me like, nope, that's not going to happen. And I was like, we're still standing here on the stage and there's people there are people and they're staring at us and I the only line that came to my head was one the like the last line of the scene I skipped I think three pages oh my god of scene so it went from this moment of like being kind of yelly and argument and then it went and then I went like I have to go it was like my exit (laughs) and 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 I kind of was like, when you do that, you're like, well, I hope the uh, person running the sound booth is ready to like cue. I hope everybody's backstage ready to come on stage. Like, and thankfully, like, I think they heard the silence, which went on for a while and then they were ready to go. But I went off stage and I like cried because Mm -hmm. the amount of like stress my body just underwent in that moment. And then also it was this feeling of like, I let the playwright down because I skipped this awesome three pages of text and I couldn't save it. And of course, the, I apologized to the playwright and everything afterward. And he was like, it, it's fine. You know, he was very gracious. But that actor kind of messaged me. He was like, how did you feel about that yesterday? Um, he's like, because I thought it was kind of awesome. Like it was this kind of awesome, weird twist to the scene. And I strongly wrote back and I said, that was not okay. Like, I understand that it wasn't a disaster, but our job is to, like, we're a part of a bigger wheel here. Right. And it's kind of, like, our job to... Right. But then again, like, in that moment, there's nothing anyone can do. Mm -hmm. We knew the play. We knew the scene. We ran our lines before. It's kind of... Well, and, you know, I mean, in, in his defense, it happened. Yeah. And you can either beat yourself up about it for weeks which I tend to do. Right. <laughs> or you can just look at it as this like weird little blessing. Yeah. And move on from it. <laughs> it's a funny story. Like, it's a funny story. Yeah. It was, um, if anything, it, it put you guys both on your toes in a way that probably kept made you come alive for yeah. later performances because your bodies remembered that, that stress and that adrenaline rush. So in that scene that like lived on in the scene. Right. So I think it's it's so, like, I freak out when that stuff happens and I get off stage, you know, you work through it or whatever, and then you get off stage and then I spend, like, I drink a oh, bottle yeah. of wine that <laughs> yeah. night and I'm like, oh my oh, God, yeah. my career is over, I'm such a hack or whatever. Yeah. I had a moment like that and um, my late friend Katie, she wrote a play when I was in college and a bunch of us came back to Atlanta to perform it. It was called Swimming with Jellyfish. Mm. And there's a scene where, so she was the mom, our friend Bob and former teacher was the dad. And then she wrote the two children to be me and my, 
really good friend, Nick Drusbanski, and uh, there was this scene where it's rapid fire, we're taking family Christmas photos, it's the middle of July, you know, everyone's kind of arguing in between the timer going off, and like, the timing of the scene is like, really, really important, (laughs) and I don't know what happened, but I just like, was gazing at the camera or something, (laughs) and I think it was a good five seconds, which in on stage five seconds feels like an eternity where I didn't even realize they were waiting for me to say my line and then I just sort of slowly looked around and everyone's staring at me and I was like oh my god I'm supposed to say something like I must have looked like I was high like I was just looking from person to person being like what was it what was it I was supposed to say we're in a play right now people are watching us and I I finally was like like I spit something out and then the scene just like continued with the rapidity that it had been it must have looked so bizarre (laughs) there was no way like anybody could have seen it and it looked like it was on purpose like it was clearly a mistake yeah I just zoned the fuck out. I don't yeah. know what happened. Maybe I had a small stroke. Maybe. You should just say that. <laughs> I like, don't know. Like, I don't know. But, but I, I remember, you know, especially because I, I was in school and I was like, every every performance is the be-all, end-all. And, like, I, I hadn't learned how to be able to perform a show, acknowledge that it didn't go too well, but there are like were all these glittery moments in there that yeah. were, like, worth celebrating because nothing's going to be perfect you're not going to have an amazing show every single time yeah but yeah I just sat there and I beat myself about up about it for so long I have a recording of the show and I might it might be that performance Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't watched it as you were it's funny as you were telling that story I had a flashback to um Merchant of Venice when you were Portia and I was Nerissa Uh and like that I remember there were so many times in not performance, but definitely in rehearsal where I would get this El Dendi, like, I don't know what's next. Like, <laughs> like from me? Yeah. Oh, it yeah. Was, it was like in rehearsal, so obviously that stuff happens, but it was kind of like, what are we doing here? Like, what comes next? Which I just remember that look, because... You guys, I'm really professional and I'm a good actor, but you know... She is. Sometimes. <laughs> she is. Sometimes I just, I, you know... Part of It's because I'm so present. Yeah. It's because I'm so present You're like, that sometimes I just, you know, I go up. Right. And then... That's what it is. No, I'm just kidding. I go up. Yeah, I go up a lot. Yeah, God, I don't remember that at all. But uh, I've blocked a lot of that performance out. School is, is interesting. And it's interesting because I, I just got the email that my high school reunion, Ooh. 10 years, is, like, coming up. It's going to be in at Thanksgiving, and I started to just, like, think about who I was in high school, and uh, I was very interested in grades and AP courses and all this stuff, and even who I was in college, and you just want to go to that person and be, like, you just... Woosa. Yeah, like, oh, girl. Yeah. Like, pet their heart a little bit. Yeah. I just feel... And it was it was interesting. I helped out with the BFA auditions in New York. Oh, I was, cool. like... The monitor kind of and the kids that come in and they're so so passionate so anxious like so much and Either. I just yeah I just was like I would I would like talk to them and of course their parents are equally like a lot of the parents don't know what they're that's how my mom felt was like I don't know what she's doing I don't know about any of this you talk to her I don't know uh, this one kid he was like Guthrie's my dream and, and he came out of the room from his audition and he just looked like he was like I I messed up like he's like I didn't I didn't answer the questions well he was all beating himself up and I I don't know I tried to console him the best way possible like it's okay you know like it's you're gonna end up where you're supposed to end up maybe it's not the Guthrie maybe it's somewhere else but yeah I mean I, I I tend to tell my students when I'm teaching that I don't know. You just, it's ingrained in you to like want the best school or the whatever, but everybody's journey is so different. And like that was right for me at the time, but I'm, I I had to move home because I had so much debt and like, et cetera. I mean, there are pros and cons to both. And like, just because you don't take that traditional path 
or take that path mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're not going to end up in the same place as somebody who did. Right. You know, or I mean, in, in a good way, not the debt way, right. but like, right, the, right, right. oh, like being a professional actor, if that's your dream or whatever. Right. Right. <laughs> in fact, it may be better if you don't. If you don't. you don't right. have that school debt. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just take, yeah, take, yeah. find those really good classes, find those classes with casting people, make those connections and mm-hmm. like get better that way. Yeah. There are so many ways to do this job. Yeah, it's unlike any career anywhere. Yeah. It doesn't it's not linear. It's mm-hmm. not like being a lawyer or a doctor or even like starting your own business. It's not like any of that. And someone used this phrase that I really like. It's like it's not transactional. Mm. It's not and actually use that as an argument as why like you don't even know need to go to theater school because that's kind of like a transaction in some ways. But in a lot of ways it's not. You think going into it, like, oh, I'm going to the Guthrie program. I'm, I'm paying this money, and I will go to the Guthrie, and I will come out and be in the Guthrie, and it's like this kind of transaction. But and then I will go to New York City. And then I will go City. to New York, and I will be in Broadway, and I will be put in a sitcom, and all will be done. Yes. But it, it's, it's not transactional. It's relationships. And I think what I got from school on top of, like, training was relationships with mm-hmm. 20 people who, you know, you maybe don't, don't talk to every day, but, like, I know I could call any of them up or if I bumped into them on the street. You yeah. Know. Or even, I mean, it's kind of nice because we all live in different places, and right. it's cool because, like, when people come to Atlanta, they're like, Elle's here. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I want to help them. Right. I want to show them around. I want to go out I want to introduce them to other actor people yeah like we have that you know we have that little web and yeah and to have fulfilling relationships within the industry to find that and like feed off of each other creatively is invaluable yeah yeah and if you take the transactional aspect out of it this idea of like you need streams of income like mm-hmm. to do this for a long when you're doing the long haul like there will be years where you don't need to do that where you're you're doing well and but I think at any point, depending on the lifestyle you want or how you live, you probably will need side hustle or figure out. And I think I associated that with failure a lot. Yeah. I was like, as long as I have a side hustle, I'm failing. Because I'm not full time. Yes. Katie Grant Shalen was, um, she was my teacher in high school. I went to a performing arts high school. And then, you know, we lived in the same neighborhood, super close. Uh, We stayed close after school, and she was just like, she was a family member Mm -hmm. to me. And one time she looked at me, because I was doing my, like, young person freak out thing, and she was like, a year is not a long time. To not work for a year, that's not a long time. Yeah. And it's probably going to happen to you a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, I think about that a lot. The fact that like we we're so we're just in a hurry. Yeah. You know, and, and we we aren't looking at things as an investment mm-hmm. or I've noticed a lot of people lately when they introduce themselves and people are, you know, they ask, Oh, are you an actor? And uh, they say, Sometimes mm-hmm. or I have been, you know, not really right now, but you are. Yeah. Yeah. Like all of this, even if you're taking a break, all of this is feeding into your career as an artist. Yeah. And so just say yes and own it. Yeah. Because even if you're working (laughs) at a catering place and trying to make ends meet, you're not a caterer. Right. You're an actor. Right. It's like when our, it's like when we're grown up and someone, you know, your mom doesn't stop being a mom just because she doesn't like take care of kids anymore. Right. She wouldn't be like sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I'm a mom. When my kids come back right. into town. Or, like, if you're at your job, like, you're still yeah. a mom. Like, you're, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, if, yeah, if when I'm at my serving job, if someone asked me what I am, I'd be like, I'm an actor. Mm-hmm. Or even now is one thing I'm doing is, like, considering going back to graduate school to pr- pursue nutrition. Right. Just as, like, that's something I'm interested in. And that doesn't make you not an actor. Right. It makes you an actor who's also getting a degree in nutrition, yeah. which is fucking badass. Yeah. Yeah. When I launch my small business about nutrition, all you <laughs> actors and artists can, like, come to yeah. me. Yeah, you can come back on and you can, uh... Yeah. Once I have life. a million followers. Yeah. we'll show you. <laughs> L have a million followers. Own it. Own yourself. Own what you do. Just because you're not being an artist all the time doesn't mean that you're not an artist. Right. you got to be kind, be loving with yourself, and mm-hmm. do what you love. 
You yeah. may not love one thing forever, too. Like, mm-hmm. we all wore scrunchies at one time, and we loved them. But as a collective whole, we stopped wearing them. And now they're back. <laughs> and now they're back. And we're going to wear them again. So, like, you can... I always think of Helen Carey, who was this amazing actress at the Guthrie, who, you know, was an actress, took a break to be a mother and do yeah. other things, and then Traveled back, the fucking world. Traveled the world, had an incredible life, and then came back. And then went was, straight to Broadway. <laughs> yeah. And was... Wow. Such a force. Yeah. Movies, Broadway. Yeah. Susan Julia and Julia or whatever mm-hmm. that movie is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, incredible. She she also, I have a quote that I think about from her, is you can have it all, but you can't have it all at once. Mm. Yeah. But you can have it all. Yeah. And you will have it all. And it's just, um, you have to look at yourself and your life collectively and think about your achievements and think about all of the things you will achieve. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you will have had it all. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense when I think back on even the, the life that I've had so far. Like, yeah. I definitely had this, like, where I traveled yeah. around, didn't have, like... Which is so cool. Which is cool. But you can't have that and, like, have a stable life, which is another thing that I realized, like, oh, I want that in my life, too. Yeah. So you'll, you can have all these things. They're yeah. just going to be at different times. Your chapters, all the chapters in the book of your life. Yep. Beautiful. What would, the, what would your favorite chapter in your life thus far be called? Like, if you were to title it? Ugh. Or maybe not your favorite, the funniest <laughs> chapter. Um, I think it would just be something like, things are going well, da da da. Oh, wait. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, wait. Never mind. What about you? Um, it's something to do with, like, the bloody handprints I've left <laughs> around the world. <laughs> Which is in reference to all the murders, all the murders I've committed <laughs> that I'm on. That's why we're in Minneapolis. I'm actually on the run. Yeah. So, bye. I thought I'd meet up with you for a reunion, right? Or something like, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh no, oh that guy. Oh, oops. <laughs> oh no. Or like, yeah, I've peed my pants in a lot of places. That's a good title for a chapter yeah. or a book. Yeah. Yeah. I've peed my pants in a lot of places. I think about Claire a lot. When I have to pee really bad. Yeah. Many UTIs. <laughs> Many. <laughs> or just walking home at night, and is it, it's it, it's just safer to pee yourself than, like, stop there, in an alley and There pee. was no, it was right in front of the London Eye. I peed myself. Just, like, <laughs> I was alone. I couldn't, I didn't have to tell anybody I did that. No one would have ever known. No one, but you did. I did. I told everyone. And I respect. <laughs> I announced it. I walked into the the flat and was like, I peed myself. Or like, you know what? It's because you're owning. Owning my truth. Owning your truth. <laughs> own your failures and celebrate them. Celebrate. And celebrate all of your flaws. Yes. I don't think that's a flaw. No. I think that's a strength. <laughs> you're a strong person. Uh. And I respect it. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. yeah. I think that, um, I think we're good. We're, yeah. It's, it's starting to get time for us to get ready. Yes, we got to get ready. We have things to do. We yeah. got to see. So thank you so yeah. much. This was lovely. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, I have to go to the bathroom. Okay. No, no. <laughs> oh, I peed myself. <laughs> oh, that's what it would be called. Oh, oh I, I peed, peed myself. myself. <laughs> oh, I, I peed myself. Rejected. Thanks, Matt Eckholm, for editing this episode. Thanks also to Cassie B. for the great iTunes review. Please stay tuned for episode 9. That is the second installment of my trip in Minneapolis. I will be interviewing filmmakers Jay Ness and J.J. Kaiser of Cutjaw Film Co. Have a great one, you guys. See you next time.